Tired of the negative news and flashover substance? It's time for Today with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and PhD with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamlined news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick. My co-host Larry Dersham and I are wanting to first of all wish you a wonderful Father's Day weekend. And what a weekend it is with most businesses open again. Last year we talked about this and I think Larry, we had like a list of Father's Day ideas that would allow people to enjoy the holiday as best they could around the uh, pandemic restrictions. But today and tomorrow you have really unlimited options. So uh, that's got to be a blessing. And not to mention the weather. The weather is just gorgeous. Um, But because Larry and I are both lawyers, we would be remiss if we did not bring you one of the most noteworthy and much discussed and actually one of the most closely watched Supreme Court decisions that we've had this term. And that, of course, has to do with the city of Philadelphia and a Catholic foster care agency. So a bit of background, this was a Catholic foster care agency that stated that its religious views prevented it from working with same-sex couples. So the city of Philadelphia basically stopped doing business with it and did not grant it an exemption, although it had granted other businesses exemptions. So the Supreme Court basically sided in this case with the Catholic Foster Care Agency. Now, this was a ruling, by the way, which was specific to the facts of the case. So I know that many on both sides would have rather this resulted in a ruling that was more widespread, would provide greater precedential value one way or the other. But the court didn't do that because it didn't have to under these facts. It basically sidestepped the bigger questions about how to balance religious freedom and anti-discrimination laws. This is a balancing test that goes on with so many cases across the nation, Supreme Court on down. Uh, So they basically, in this case, they looked instead of providing some broad sweeping precedent, they looked instead at the language in the city's foster care contract. Larry, I have to say it, it is for that reason, and perhaps that reason alone, this was a unanimous verdict. Let that sink in for a minute. Now, I like calling it a verdict. I know you'd probably say it's a decision, but it was unanimous. Nine justices, six conservative, three more liberal. uh, And you have this verdict that basically says that every single one of them was swayed that the language in this case, basically the the Philadelphia language and in refusing to uh, give an exception to the Catholic charity violated the First Amendment. What do you think about that? Were you surprised? Yeah, it, it's so interesting. Uh, this is a uh, the Catholic foster ministry has been serving Philadelphia for over 200 years. And all of a sudden, the city of Philadelphia is going to cut them off from the ability to uh, serve uh, as, as foster parents. So it was Catholic Social Services. They supported the foster mothers. Her name is Sharon L. Fulton, and she's, uh, the case was named after her, Fulton, and Tony Sims Bush. 
And uh, they serve, those two foster mothers serve children without regard to race, religion, or sexual orientation. Yet the city of Philadelphia was not going to renew their contract with them because uh, of their their beliefs, their deeply held religious beliefs, even though it caused or threatened no tangible harm. And those are the words of uh, Justice Roberts, who wrote the uh, the majority opinion. Or actually, and you know, a... just go ahead. No, that's right. Justice Roberts not only wrote the majority opinion, um, but one of the other things that I think is interesting, I'm not sure if it factored in. In fact, I know it didn't because these justices have to be impartial. Roberts is one of seven members of the court who is Catholic or attended Catholic schools. That's just an interesting fact I wanted to point out. But Larry, let me ask you this. How many same-sex couples do you think have asked in the past to work with Catholic Social Services, the the, uh, agency at issue in this case? How many? Well, I read zero. Zero. The answer, (laughs) in fact, is zero. So you, you have to wonder, you know, the kinds of things that sway the court in something like this. And so one of the things that the court said, that's again, very telling, they explained that over 50 years, the CSS, the agency's uh, initials, successfully contracted with the city of Philadelphia to provide foster care services while holding the very same beliefs that caused the city to decide that they were no longer going to contract with them. So they basically said that under those facts, again, narrow holding, Under those facts, the city of Philadelphia violated the free exercise rights of Catholic social services by conditioning their continued working relationship on their agreeing to certify same-sex couples as foster parents. So hence you have this unanimity that some people are surprised at, but not really when you think about what they were narrowly deciding. Exactly. And a lot of people would say that this victory is a direct result of brave Christian leaders refusing to bow down to the unconstitutional government mandates. I mean, if it wasn't for the the Catholic uh, services to step up there, uh, there wouldn't have been a case. And maybe they would have just said, OK, I guess we won't do foster care anymore. When 70 uh, percent of the children supported by this religious ministry, Wendy, uh, in the foster care program are racial minorities. And we've all heard that one of the problems of like gang violence is fatherless homes or even parentless homes where these poor kids have to join gangs to feel a family relationship. And these people are helping out with the foster care. It's a wonderful thing to do. And I don't think we should stake the futures of our children on just being politically correct and say, well, you don't adhere to all of our mandates. Therefore, you can't do this anymore, even though you've been doing it for 200 years. Well, you know, it was interesting that the court didn't need to even go to the extreme of deciding uh, motivation for bringing a suit like this, because the court was very clear as to the rationale behind this decision. They basically said Philadelphia offered no compelling reason why it had a particular interest in denying an exception to the Catholic agency while making exceptions available to others. So it's one of those rare decisions where both sides really have a takeaway, an important takeaway. It didn't go too far. It was narrowly tailored. But on the other hand, it was they basically talked about the importance of the free exercise of religion. So both sides, uh, both narratives and both viewpoints ended up with something to work with here. But speaking for a victory for religious liberty, I understand, Larry, there may be another victory 
you'd like to talk about regarding people who are pushing for a new federal holiday. Right. Uh, Oh, by the way, that new federal holiday, Wendy, is today, Saturday, June 19th. 2021. And I'm sorry, folks, especially you federal workers, you you missed your day off, which was yesterday, Friday, because this was just signed by President Biden into law on Thursday. So Maybe this he is, should have signed it on Monday. Yeah, right? yeah, he, he should have to, to give him a, a little bit it's of a It's about holiday. time we celebrate this. That's yeah, right. yeah. So he, it's called, now this is interesting, what they're calling this is called Juneteenth National Independence Day Act. And it's going to be happening from now on, on June 19th. It's a federal holiday. Now, does that mean we get it off next year, Larry? Should we Uh, mark our calendars? Well, yeah, yeah. I guess if you're a federal worker, I guess it'll probably apply to banks and post offices. And as far as private businesses, I'm not sure. But uh, it's it's just adding to the number of, of holidays. Now, what is interesting about this, Wendy? Uh, this, a little bit of background. June 19th are Juneteenth, as they're, they're calling it, Juneteenth, is formally known as Emancipation Day or Jubilee Day. And it marks the day on June 19, 1865, that federal troops led by General Gordon Granger arrived in the coastal city of Galveston, Texas, to deliver General Order Number 3, officially ending slavery in Texas. Now, it's kind of funny. Now, this is just me talking, my opinion. Uh, that, that's why I call this Juneteenth the day of Repub- the Republicans freed all the Democrat Slaves Act. But uh, because it was the Republican Party that basically was uh, President Lincoln that, that did the uh, it represented the North. So that's just my take on it. For, forgive me uh, for putting those politics in. But it is it's a fascinating day because when the Civil War ended, uh, not all uh, of the states uh, ended their slavery right away, like Kentucky is an example, and uh, uh, several, several others. And it's unfortunate that President uh, Lincoln actually uh, passed away. Well, he was assassinated uh, two months before this happened. And so he didn't get to see this final, like, finally, slavery is ended uh, because he was assassinated uh, two months before this. Well, you you know, what's interesting, Larry, you provide all this history. You know, a lot of people don't know about history and don't certainly don't know a lot of these facts. And this is an opportunity. And it certainly was an opportunity in Congress to really talk about the rich history we have as a nation and why we have the holidays we do. And I thought it was interesting that there were there were some um, Republicans that voted against the name of this federal holiday, not the fact that we should celebrate it. But they're talking about what we should call it. And you got to believe, you know, naming holidays, that's dicey territory, Larry. Isn't I know it. it. What I, do you call it? I think everybody's for this, Wendy, but I think they're worried about people are going to confuse this Independence Day because the Independence Day is in the name of the act with July 4th Independence Day. So that's a big concern right there. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, but one one holiday that is non-controversial is Father's Day tomorrow. So Amen. if anything, Juneteenth is very close to Father's Day, but uh, we, we celebrate two for it, them for two very different reasons. So, you know, one of the things we always want to wish our listeners every weekend is that a, a safe Father's Day means uh, safety first and whatever you do, wherever you go, we want to make sure that you stay safe and um, you keep your family safe as well. And I'm going to say the same thing for today because I know a lot of people didn't get to celebrate the holiday yesterday. So, Don't go anywhere, folks. We're going to take a short commercial break. Please stick around for the second half where we're going to introduce you to one of our nation's leading authorities on national security 
and cybersecurity. You are not going to want to miss this. You are listening to Today with Dr. Wendy. We will be back in a flash. News cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to the headline highlights on Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Welcome back today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick. And as promised, we have a very special guest to introduce you to for our second half. Larry, who do we have on the line? Right, Wendy. I'm so happy and energized to introduce our new our guest today. It's James J. Carafano. Mr. Carafano is a leading expert in national security in the areas of homeland security, terrorism, cybersecurity, defense, and missile defense. And he's also vice president of the Heritage Foundation Institute for National Security and Foreign Policy. He's a graduate of West Point, and he hosts, uh, hosts a, uh, or has a master's degree and a doctorate degree from Georgetown University and also a master's degree from the U.S. Army War College. He's a regular national news show he- guest on Fox News and, and other networks and on national uh, radio. So I'm so pleased to have him today. So welcome to the show, James. Thanks for coming on the show. It's great to be with you. Now, James, I I know with all those illustrious credentials, the most precious Father's Day gift that you received is having been a grandpa for six days, your precious little one is out of surgery and doing well. So congratulations to you. Yeah, it's really remarkable. I mean, the best Father's Day present you can have from great uh, children. Oh, amen to that. His parents Aww. are just heroes and warriors and have just been so resilient to all this. Super proud oh. of it. You know, we we always say you you have to fight for the next generation for your children and grandchildren. And you know, I think actually we have to stop doing that. We have to start saying we need you know, because young people I'm not gonna be a grandfather for thirty years. What do I care about the next generation? We have to start fighting for our generation. Good point. Right now, for America today to create the kind of world that's free, safe, and prosperous. Um, and you know what? Fighting for us, fighting for our freedom and our liberty, that's that. if you want to pass it off to the next generation, that's the best way to do it. That's fantastic. You know, and along those lines, I noticed you wrote uh, an opinion piece for Fox News on President Biden's performance at the recent G7 summit. And you made an interesting point that he appears to be very popular on the international stage, but his foreign policy looks pretty much like the foreign policy of President Obama. I wondered what you meant by that. Well, look, Obama foreign policy, which it's not surprising that the foreign policy in the Biden administration looks incredibly similar since many, many of the same people, if not these same people, are actually doing right. foreign policy. And, you know, oftentimes when people were critical of Trump saying he was isolationist, and he wasn't, um, but, but Obama, in a, in a sense, was. His foreign policy was about disengaging from the world stage, um, trying to accommodate your, your, your enemies and competitors and hoping they would leave you alone. And that would allow you to really focus on a very aggressive, aggressive agenda. And Biden has 
has really picked up right where we left off. I, I, you know, I have to tell you, I talk to a lot of um, international folks about what they think and, and a lot of Europeans, and contrary to what you heard, the headlines were, you know, everybody here was kind of gushing, like, oh, what a, what a, what a wonder, what, a, what leadership he demonstrated, everything else. Um, he said, you know, America's back and we want to engage. What the Europeans told me is what they heard was America is leaving and you guys are on your own because wow. they looked at the action, not the words. And, and the actions of the president, not just in Europe and several other theaters, have actually been the opposite of engaging and leading. They've really been a lot of lofty rhetoric and withdrawing. And that reminds you of Obama. Right. Hey, James, recent statements from President Joe Biden, FBI Director Christopher Wray, and Attorney General Merrick Garland point to domestic terrorism, particularly from so-called white supremacists, as the biggest internal threat that America now faces. Do you agree with that statement? Well, I, the first thing I think Americans should do is, is ask themselves why this wasn't true before, and then a new administration came in, and suddenly our threat perception flipped 180 degrees. And I, I think the natural question would be, well, how did that happen? One of the things the president actually cited in his State of the Union address was an address to the entire country where he literally said white supremacists are the greatest domestic threat that we have. He actually cited the Department of Homeland Security report for that. The, the former head of the Department of Homeland Security actually, is actually a visiting fellow for me, and he said that that's just not true. He completely mischaracterized that report. Um, and what's, what's very interesting is, if you look at his speech in the, in the State of the Union address and the recently released uh, White House doctrine for dealing with domestic terrorism, the only terrorism that he talks about is white supremacists and militias. And consciously, uh, he and his party try to link that to his political opponents, and they ignore every other threat, um, and, they, and they consciously ignore political violence, which actually is connected to a political party. And it's, and it's not his opponents, it's his. Exactly. There's literally no discussion of Antifa and BLM. There's no political party in America that says white supremacists are okay. There is no political party in America that says armed violent militias are okay. There are plenty of political leaders in America who defended Antifa, who defended BLM, and these are groups that have conducted organized political violence. They've injured thousands of police officers. They've done many, many millions of dollars of destruction in American cities. And to, to President Biden's credit, he has said, well, you know, all, all violence is wrong. But his strategy, his policies, his public statements are all about demonizing specific groups and then specifically trying to tie them to his political opponents. So I think a lot of people would ask themselves, is this really about domestic security or is this about the, the, the nightmare that we all have? And we've actually had since 9-11, since the created the Department of Homeland Security, is this about a president who is using the instruments of public safety and law enforcement to go after his political enemies? And I, I think that's well, a fair question. Well, when you talk about um, political enemies, uh, I'm dying to ask about uh, your opinion of the meeting he had with uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin. And one of, the, one of the most interesting things about that meeting, no doubt, 
was um, obviously, you know, these two men have to work together. They're world leaders. They have to figure out how to work together, not necessarily to trust each other, but to work towards a common goal. And I know that you've also noted um, that when it comes to foreign policy, President Biden seems to be most interested in foreign policy initiatives that legit that legitimize a domestic agenda. And, and you know, there's there's some ideological differences, obviously, between um, President Biden, certainly, and his predecessor. But I would love to know how you thought that meeting went with President Putin, given the reality that uh, both sides, both men seem to come away from it, sort of touting how, how they really told each other, uh, you know, how it's gonna be. When I, if I were a fly on the wall in that room, I'm pretty sure that's probably not the way it went in reality. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think Americans ought to ask themselves, you know, is this another example of the, of the two things that we've been just talking about? One is a president who who appears through his actions to be very reluctant to lean forward to protect America's interests. And the other is this desire, in a sense, to use foreign policy not as an instrument for protecting Americans or, or domestic policy or, or, or homeland security policy, but using it as a political tool. Um, and I think we saw some of that in the summit as well. Look, um, summit with Putin are useless. Um, he's a thug. Uh, it's just talk. And, you know, Putin reacts to power. He, he's not accountable to anybody. He doesn't matter what people say in these things. He's not accountable to a press or a, a legislature or voters. Um, so th- these words are meaningless. What he pays attention to is what people do. And um, essentially what Biden did was a, a, another replay of the Obama playbook. It was, let's try to find a way to accommodate our adversaries and hope they won't come after us. And, and like Obama, there were a bunch of sweeteners up front, uh, uh, this time, you know, we uh, greenlit Nord Stream 2, which is a, a pipeline that the Russians own, which is going to undermine energy security in, in Western Europe. And most of the Western European countries are, are against. Um, uh, and so, and then what? And then you sit back and you wait for the Russians to act nice. Well, look, we know the Russians aren't going to act nice because, the, the, because Putin is, we're not going to get a different Putin. And the nice talk and, and everything. If, if you actually look at what came out of the um, conference in substance, the only actionable announcement was they said, "Well, they're going to send ambassadors back." Wow! And you know, and you know what? You don't do you don't do a, you don't do a great power summit to exchange ambassadors. <laughs> That's something you do with a piece of paper on Friday before you head out to Delaware on the Amtrak. That's amazing. Uh, We are getting close to the end, but I wanted to get this in. And Wendy's going to ask you, too, about how to get a hold of you. But I noticed you have a brand new book out. I mean, literally, this year it's called Brutal War, Jungle Fighting in Papua New Guinea in 1942, which is an amazing book. So you know a lot about history. That would be fascinating. Did that one just, it's just been published, right? Yeah, so, you know, Heritage Foundation, it's a research institution, but I've always really looked as to hire uh, people that have uh, real-world experience. I was in the Army for 25 years, but also, you know, academic experience. And so I, I encourage my folks to really continue to hone their academic skills, and I try to lead by example. So I continue to write uh, military history, even as I kind of try to watch Biden make new history. So <laughs> um, the campaign in Papua New Guinea was maybe the hardest campaign that Americans fought during World War II. It's a, it's a horrible, terrible, awful battle. And... Uh, and it actually was quite pivotal in the outcome of the war. So it, it, um, we should be very proud of our American and our Australian allies because 
They did some incredible things under terrible circumstances. Thank you for we adding should, that. We should be that generation. And we're going to have to be that James, generation. James, thank you so much for joining us. It's really been a pleasure. Uh, we could talk to you all day long. Unfortunately, we're at the end of the show. But it's really been interesting listening to your perspective. And keep up the good work with all of the very intriguing opinion pieces and appearances thank you, James. that you've been doing. You know, dialogue is wonderful. So thank you for joining us. And God bless your your gorgeous little grandchild. I mean, what a, what a blessing that is. And what a... Uh, what a pleasure it is to hear about the great prognosis. So we also want to thank you. you. Yeah, you bet. We also want to thank our listeners for joining us. Have a wonderful, safe weekend and a glorious Father's Day tomorrow. I hear the weather's going to be terrific. Please join us next week for more of Today with Dr. Wendy. Headlines with a silver lining. Have a great week and God bless you. Thank you for joining us for Today with Dr. Wendy. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day. This has been Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. 